you have to meet them at where they are, right? You're not going to give the 22, 23 year old former division one collegiate athlete who is now just training to be a healthy person. Maybe the activities are the same, but the momentum and the complexity is toned down to the 60 plus year old clients. There's a huge gap there. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Dave Schock of iFast. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to start off by saying a belated Happy Mother's Day to all the amazing and awesome moms out there. I hope you had an awesome day. If you're not a mom, hopefully you treated your mom exceptionally well. Things here were pretty low-key, to be honest. It was kind of a dreary, miserable day. It was like 35, 40 degrees, rained all day, so we got some carry-out brunch, So nobody had to cook in the morning, got the kids on board. We basically cleaned as much of the house as possible. So it looked really nice. And then in the evening, Jess's mom and dad came over and I made a little bit of dinner. So luckily didn't starve anybody out. We had some bacon wrapped pork tenderloin, roasted potatoes, roasted Brussels sprouts, little salad, and Kendall made these awesome little raspberry and chocolate chip muffins. So Definitely nobody starved for dinner last night. It was great to hang out and just catch up with everybody. And again, hopefully all the mothers out there had an awesome day. As far as last week goes, lots of sportsing. I feel like May is always heavy on the sports. Cade's got two or three sports activities with baseball. Kindle's the same with soccer. The weekend was a little rough with games. Our baseball team had played really well. I think we were, as of Friday, we won our fourth game in a row. So we were 4-0 and to start the season. Culminated in Cade playing second base. Two guys out. We were up, I think, maybe like 15-12 or something like that. Fielded the ball, stomped. Didn't just touch. He stomped on second base to win the game, so that was a good feeling. But then (laughs) turned around Saturday morning, and we laid an egg. The game Friday night ended up a little late. We went out to dinner, and I don't know. Our entire team looked like a group of zombies on Saturday morning. We couldn't hit. We couldn't field. We didn't do much very well. I think we ended up losing like 19-6. to So a little bit rough. Took an L. Took the first one of the season, but the boys are having fun. I feel like we're getting better each week, so that's been really fun to watch. Kindle's soccer team, and we're struggling a little bit. Mostly scoring goals is the biggest issue. We just cannot seem to find the back of the net right now. And we play just an incredibly physical team. I mean, these girls were big and they were strong. So I think our girls were a little bit intimidated going up against them, but we're just going to keep working at it. And I constantly remind myself that at this age, nobody's making the Olympic team. Nobody's getting a scholarship. Nobody's getting cut from JV or varsity or their high school team. We're looking to develop. And I think each week there's things that we can hang our hat on that we're doing well development wise and that we're getting better on. So I just try and remind myself because I put a lot of pressure on myself, but you know, I try and remind myself it's about the development. It's about the girls having fun. And overall, I think we're getting better each week and that's all you can do. That's all you can ask for. So the sports thing was a little rough this weekend, but luckily some of the iFast athletes have been having really good years. Jalen Robinson, you may have followed his football career, but he is now transitioning to rugby. So he's playing amazingly well. He got his second try, which I liken to looks like a touchdown in football. At least that's what I think it is. If you're a rugby listener and I'm wrong about that, feel free to correct me. I'm still learning the sport, but G's crushing it. It's exciting to watch him transition and he's just, he's a man out there. You can watch some of his highlights. He is just an absolute beast. So excited for him. My girl Ashley Prangy hit a dinger for Ohio State this last weekend. So she's playing well. And then my basketball guys, Ed and Keelan, especially from the Pacers. Ed Sumner over his last 10 games has been starting and he's 
like just killing it right now. I think he's shooting 55% from the field, 55 from three, 83% from the line, and averaging like 12 and a half points a game. So he's playing really well, and it's fun to watch him finally get his chance. It's something we've talked about for like a year and a half now is, hey man, just stay ready. And when you get your shot, be so good they can't ignore you. And he's taking full advantage of that. So that's been really exciting. As far as this week goes, I just think the last two and a half weeks here, this is the home stretch for myself, for the kiddos, because everything is going on, right? They're finishing up school. They want to stay up later because it's generally pretty nice out. We've got sports activities. So we're just going to grind through these two and a half weeks, get school over with, kind of finish the sports season strong. I think they both finish around the first week in June. And then I know I talked about this last week, but just this podcast sprint is still going full tilt. So I think I've recorded like six episodes in the last week and a half, which is definitely a PR. I got a couple more lined up for this week. I think just two this week. I tried to give myself a little bit of breathing room. And then I just sent out, I think, one, two, five, six Instagram messages or emails to people that I wanted to get on the show. So, man, I'm dead serious. I'm trying to get all of these shows done so that come May, all I have to do is record this intro and kind of keep it current and just, you know, make sure that we have a steady flow of great podcasts to take us through the summer because while I'll definitely be recording some, I just know my opportunity is going to be a lot more hit and miss with the kids home all the time. So that is what's new in my neck of the woods. I hope you're doing well. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome show with my guy, Dave. And let me tell you, this was an awesome chat. I love talking to him. He's such a smart guy. He does such a great job with our morning clients. And if you train Gen Pop clients, you are going to love it as well. So quick break, and then we're going to jump into this show with Dave. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple. Restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you will be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Dave Schock is currently the morning strength coach at iFast. He lives just south of Indianapolis in Greenwood, Indiana, with his wife Shelby and two-year-old son Wesley. After playing tennis at the University of Indianapolis, he finished his bachelor's degree at Indiana University in Bloomington. When he's not coaching the morning clients at iFast, he stays busy by playing and coaching tennis, 
playing with his son, playing music, and working in his garden. In this show, Dave and I take a candid look at what it takes to be successful training gin pop clients. We talk about the role and value of empathy and why training the gin pop is different from coaching athletes. We chat about why your initial assessment and sessions are so critical in determining what success really means to your clients. We discuss the art of modifying and regressing exercises and the need to meet clients where they are. And last but not least, we give you some insight into what we mean when we talk about leaving a trail of breadcrumbs or feeding the baby birds. I know a ton of listeners work with Gen Pop clients, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. But enough for me, let's do this. Dave, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on, of course. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here. About me, I am the morning coach at iFast right now. So that's what I do for my work. I live on the south side of Indianapolis in a town called Greenwood with my wife, Shelby, and my son, Wesley. And that's where we've been pretty much our whole lives. I went to University of Indianapolis to play some tennis for a couple of years. And then I graduated from IU down in Bloomington with a bachelor's degree. And eventually, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute, you know, eventually it led me to coaching at IFAST. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. So talk to me. I love getting people's backstories. What got you interested in the world of physical preparation? Yes. So... I would say as most people, it starts as an athlete in some way. That's not true for everybody. But on the tennis court, I think is where like I first, maybe not with the industry, but first fell in love with training and actually having some dedicated work that was outside of the sport and skill work towards getting better. I had a great coach in uh, Ivan Smith at Center Grove who created an amazing culture with our team. And he just always created this culture of competitiveness with our speed and conditioning work. We had our morning workouts to get as many practices in as we could so we could be eligible and to do the two-a-days before season and everything. We always had this, you know, culture of I'm going to do the highest box jump. I'm going to do these ladders the fastest. (laughs) Keep in mind, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing back then, of course. Right. But that was sort of where everything started. And then that translated into starting to lift in the weight room at Center Grove with a great strength coach, Marty Mills. So he was kind of creating the same thing, just this competitive and really enthralling atmosphere where we were always trying to outdo one another. So it's just, you know, feeding into the athlete mentality there. And then when I went to UND, Steve Barrick was my coach there, who it's all kind of a small world there. He used to actually come in and work at Center Grove. So I had another great transition there working with him for a couple of years as my coach. So that's where all of these sort of seeds got planted into my brain. I think like a lot of exercise science majors, that's what I entered at UND as, a lot of us were pre-PT and that was, it seemed like every time you're going around the room, it's, it's, oh, hey, I'm exercise science, I'm pre-PT. And then you kind of see everybody fizzle out over a period of time. To be honest, it was a combination of, I think early on in college, my grades just were not where they needed to be. I underestimated the work ethic that it yeah. took. So I was able to get my grades up after the reality hit of like, hey, this is going to take some work. So I was able to get my grades up, but ultimately after, you know, shadowing several PTs and seeing what it was going to take to be competitive in the schools that I wanted to go to, I was also, you know, doing internships in the strength and conditioning field at the time. So I kind of fell in love with 
it was sort of that culture that I had been enthralled by as an athlete in high school and in college that kept leading me. It's just kind of like a magnet leading me back towards that coaching atmosphere and helping athletes and helping coach people and getting to be the boss every now and then is nice too, right? <laughs> right. Everybody likes feeling like the smartest guy in the room. So it's fun to be in charge and it's fun to feel like a leader, especially, you know, if you're just a young kid and you get to be an intern and you get to coach some of these kids, it feels pretty fun. So that's always essentially how I got my interest in that field and then building from there after I graduated. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I always forget. I mean, you've got such a cool lineage there because Marty... I mean, Marty was like a really, really good power lifter, got into kettlebells. So he's got like this awesome strength background. You got Steve Barrick, who has been on the show before. I mean, that dude's one of the hardest working guys in our industry. I mean, running, is it D3? Is it D3? that They're D2. Okay, so D2, but like literally running all of the sports. You know, yeah. just thinking oh about gosh. that guy's work ethic, like super impressive. Yeah. Marty was just starting to introduce the kettlebells right when I was like senior year of high school there. So that's awesome. that was a lot of fun for me. See him start to implement that to now he's got these massive boot camps that he does still over the last year, he was able to kind of figure out some ways to do this here and there. But Barrick was about one of the most intense guys I've ever <laughs> met. And he was just starting there. We had actually somebody else before that, before he had gotten there. And then my second year he came on and he was doing like every single sport that we have and you know we're a smaller division still had i don't know 19 or 20 sports there and he's overseeing every single one and still had all the energy in the world every second of the day that's awesome that's awesome it was a lot of fun love that guy so okay last but not least talk to me about your career path so you're interested you're in the weight room you're going through school talk to me about how you get from finishing up school to where you're at now. Yeah. So after I graduated, I did an internship actually close to where IFAST is, sort of in, in more in the Carmel area. I did a spot there at IU Health Sports Performance. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of solidified like, hey, this is kind of a cool job. Like I saw what these guys do every day. I saw the fun that they were having. And I was like, this is something that I think I can do all the time as a profession here. So unfortunately, a full-time thing like that is hard to come by right away. Yep. So I essentially took the first job that I could that was in some somewhat of a similar field out of college because the more you look into going to to school after you just gotten done with school, the more you realize how long it's going to take you to start making money. And the idea (laughs) of making money right out of school is and not being in tremendous amount of debt is attractive, especially if you're thinking about starting a family at some point. So I took a job in the rehab field at a chiropractic, massage therapy, medical office. So I did that for a few years. And on the side, chiropractors seem to have these weird hours where you have a lot of free time. You work weird hours, long hours sometimes, but you have these odd free time hours where you can actually have some other opportunities. So I was able to drive here and there with some other various strength and conditioning time roles and all the while driving to and from listening to your podcasts, like digesting all the material that I could. I actually was able to get my CSCS when I was there. They were able to pay for that. They wanted us to be certified. So I was able to convince them that that was a worthy certification (laughs) in the rehab industry. So after I had maxed out my potential in that area and all the while kind of growing this passion for the physical prep field, I decided that I had to make a move because I was just stuck. Kind of, I realized I had like, I've gotten the most out of this that I can. I learned a lot. I learned how to interact with people. I learned how to manage a room and manage a huge influx and flow of patients that we were having. So that was a great skill set to have, but ultimately it's not what I wanted to do. So I said, I need to make a huge move here. And that's when I ended up applying to be an intern at IFAST. And after I 
come in contact with Ty in the meantime through some of these part-time jobs that I had. So I found out more about you guys. I was kind of reading some of your guys' content and everything, but I found out more about what you guys do. And, and that was super attractive to me. So that's how I found myself to be an intern there. After the internship, I ended up going to E1, was opening up a spot in Speedway. So I went and I was their head strength coach there. And I realized pretty quickly that I was just not ready. I was in over my head. I had no clue what I was doing and managing a whole staff and trying to open up a whole gym. You know, you come out of an IFAST internship with all this cool knowledge and expertise, so you think, but I realized pretty quickly that that was not the right fit for me. It was a lot of fun. I met a lot of really cool people, a lot of really really fun clients there, but ultimately it was just not the right fit for me. Right. So in the meantime, searching around, I ended up at NIFS, which is a huge gym downtown. They've got a huge 200 meter indoor track with all their weight training equipment in there. So I did that for a year as their healthy lifestyle coordinator. So that was managing like special populations and a lot of, a lot of all their general fitness clients as well. And all the, the full-time duties that we had doing group classes as part of that, and then doing some personal training as I I could, I could get up. But after I think it was a little over a year of that, I got a call from A. Chung, the former morning coach at IFAST. And I think my son Wesley had just been born like two months before that period. I may have still been on paternity leave, so it may not have even been two months. <laughs> And he called me and he said, hey, I'm thinking about moving. Um, we'll probably have an opportunity for you here. What would your interest level be? And right away, I was just like, first of all, I was like, why is Jay calling me right now? <laughs> and then I thought, like, at this point, I was in a groove at NIFS. I had a really great boss there. I had a really great team of coworkers. I loved all the clients there. I was finding a groove. So it was a really tough decision. And I thought, I don't know. That was my thought it was when I was an intern. It's like, man, it would be great to work here. And I know there was just, there were so many coaches on at that point. There was no spot for anybody to come on. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized I would be pretty foolish to not not take up this opportunity and, and learn from you and Bill and Eric and Jay for the few weeks that he was still there too. And Jason was still there at that point as well. So I knew I was probably going to regret not taking that decision if, or <laughs> taking that opportunity if that were the case. So that's how I ended up where I am here. I love it, man. I love it. And one thing I think I'd like to start today's show with is getting an idea as to why you gravitated more towards gin pop over the years. Because I think when you were originally an intern, and, and part of it was the crew that you had, right? You're the, I think still to this day, the only four person internship group at IFAST. But if I look at your group, other than maybe Tim, I would have said, oh, all these guys are going to work with athletes. And so I distinctly remember when we were talking about the position, me telling you very, very forthright and saying, hey, look, like this is going to be a gin pop position. Are you OK with that? And with no hesitation, you said yes. So I think what I'd love to start with is exploring that a little bit more. Like what made you gravitate towards working more with gin pop versus athletes? Yeah, I think part of that was not like entirely a conscious decision, especially my first job that I had, you know, working at a chiropractic clinic, we had a handful of high school athletes that would come in with back pain. And we got to work with some athletes and do some assessments on some local sports teams there. But generally, you're working with your potentially 50 plus 40 plus middle aged to older adults who have had chronic back pain, or maybe chronic neck pain or other lingering injuries or former surgeries and that kind of thing. So it's not the largest athlete culture. So it just happened that I, it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice I made, but it happened that I really gravitated and enjoyed working with those people because yeah. they're so 
interesting, especially people that have, I mean, you've been there before you've been in that kind of rehab environment. So you're not dealing with the happiest of folks coming in all the time. So you learn pretty quickly to be empathetic or you're really going to struggle yes. a lot. So you learn. And I think that's a skill that I've had. My parents, I think they raised me pretty well to be pretty empathetic towards people in general. But there, that was sort of a happy accident, I guess, because I just happened to really like the stories that these people had. And especially the, I think in general, the older somebody is, the more interesting somebody is at yeah. the same time. Because when you're young, we have a ton of young athletes that are really cool people at IFAST. Like every time I work with one of Eric's athletes, if they're on break in the morning or something, I always enjoy every experience I've had with that. But older people have a bigger story. They have more history. They have more experiences. Yeah. They can draw from greater, vaster experiences. It's just a lot more like, to be honest, interesting sometimes on a personal level. Yes. I mean, sometimes the training side of things can be slowed down a little bit, I guess. But in general, these people are just more interesting and they have more of a story to tell. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's one of the things that kind of kept me in when I was doing the in-home personal training. I mean, I did that for three years. I probably could have gotten out at two, but part of the last year was, man, I just, I love the people. Super interesting. You know, when you've got somebody that basically started his own construction business from the ground up. Another guy that's a venture capitalist and he's always putting money into these crazy things or epidemiologists. Like, I mean, these people are fascinating to talk to. And I think the thing that's really cool is it made me grow as a person. You know, I was like 28, 29 at the time. And I'm looking back, I'm like, my gosh, like I learned so much more from those people just about life than they ever did for me about training. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, there's always there's always something new, even with the clients I have now that I've been with now for a couple of years, you still find out something new about their past. You can't possibly, if somebody's 60 years old, you can't possibly learn their entire history of development through their career path yep. in two, 10, 12 years even. You know, it takes a lot of time and just little tidbits come out and you're just like surprised every once in a while. You'll think, okay, I got this guy figured out or I got this right. lady figured out. It's like, oh, wow wow, okay, now I have to reshape my whole my whole <laughs> perspective of who you are as a person. There's just always those little surprises that you find with adult clients, I think. Yeah, no, it's super fun. Okay, so with that being covered, let's kind of backtrack a little bit. And I'd love to hear about your personal philosophy when it comes to training your clients. Like, what are your big rocks? Yeah, there's, this is a huge question that I've tried to really narrow down over the last couple of years. And like, you try to pare down all your questions that you're asking about your philosophy as much as you can into like the most fundamental basic principles of what you're trying to do. And I think everything that I've ever compiled thus far to right now is just stimulate the change. And that is basically like the essence of what I try to do and try to encompass in any theme of a program that I write is just stimulating the change that that person wants, right? Everybody who comes into the gym, whether it's an athlete or if it's an 80 year old client, or somewhere in between, they're seeking some kind of change, right? We're ultimately in the business of facilitating whatever change that is desirable to them. It could be anything. It could be athletic performance. It could be just, I don't want to hurt when I walk. Or it could be anything in between where it's just, I want to have the confidence in the ability to be strong or the ability to pick stuff up or to do my yard work or to clean the dishes without my back hurting, whatever it is. They're trying to change something. So I need to do whatever I can to stimulate that change. And then, so that's the first question you have to ask is like, what do they want to change? And next is, all right, how do we get there? What's the stimulus that we need or the stimuli we need to get there? And then, you know, you could branch that as deeply as you want to like, how strong is this stimulus? How strong do you 
want each stimulus to be, but you're ultimately at the end of the day, you're prescribing some stimulus when the, as soon as they walk in the door from your like attitude and your smile on your face, that's a stimulus for yeah. how they're going to perceive like, how's this day going to go? Is yeah. this going to be a good day to stimulate change or is it not? And the reality is some days are not a great day to stimulate change. Sometimes it's, you're just preventing every little bit of regression that you can. But then the next question you have to ask is what's going to interfere with that? We talk a lot in the gym about interference. Yep. I think that's been popularized for sure recently. It's like, okay, it's one thing to stimulate the change and to get, you can have everything that you want to stimulate the change. But if you're doing 51% more that's going to interfere with that, then you're spinning your wheels at best or you're moving backwards. Yeah. So it's a pretty short answer, but I think that's ultimately what my philosophy boils down to. No, I love it. It's super clear. And I want to go back to the point you made up front. And I think this is critical, regardless of whether you're working with athletes or the gen pop. And it's this concept of setting clear expectations. And I think I talked about this in last week's show with Ken Vick because he really harked on this point. And I think it's a great point. But sometimes with athletes, it's almost easier, right? It's like, I want to get faster. I want to get stronger. I want to jump higher. With gen pop, it can be kind of mushy. You know, like, what does it mean to look better? or feel better, or move better. It's like really wishy-washy. So if somebody comes in with something super vague like that, like how much prying do you do to try and get beyond kind of that surface level answer? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Some of the hardest programs to write are just, I want to be more fit. Yes, right? those those are the worst. They're the worst programs to write, yes. Where do I start? Yeah, so you have to peel back some layers in their backstory. So like, this is where you start up front with your very first conversation with them, figuring out like, what do they like to do? What's their family like? What are their hobbies? What's fun to them? What sports did they play? Because oftentimes, I mean, every person's going to relate whatever you're doing to their story and there's no getting around that. So you ultimately have to make it meaningful to their story, whatever you're doing in the gym. So it could be like a previous experience in athletics. I don't care if it was 25 years ago, they probably have some vague memory of what it's like to be successful in their sport if they were competitive or or maybe it has to do with their hobbies and what they need to do. So you can sort of peel back some of those layers of whatever their recreational activities are that they're doing. And then you have to have some source of context within what that person understands. That's where you come in as sort of the facilitator too, to maybe not give them their goals, but guide them towards what you feel like is important. Reinforcing, hey, you know, this is something that's important to you. Is this something you feel like maybe we could work on? So you have to, in a roundabout way, sort of without putting words in their mouth, sort of give them their goals for them or lay them out. And a lot of times, if you're really running into brick walls and somebody's it's like a brand new client that has not exercised in the past, I don't know, five or 10 years or however long, it's like maybe consistency is our first goal. Like maybe yes. that is number one. It's like, okay, I need you to commit to showing up this many times. And I think that's pretty easy to do with our model because especially with adult clients, because ultimately they're investing in themselves and people value their money right. and they should. So they're going to get the most out of what they pay for. So that's the effort level is probably like in the perception of the intensity and the effort that they need to put forth with everything is another conversation. But that's probably a good place to start if you're really running into any brick walls. It's like, okay, we need to just have a consistent time frame, whatever that means. Maybe it's once a week. If it's from zero times in the last year to once one. a week is a huge win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So being in the morning at IFAST, you've gotten a chance to train both gym pop clients and athletes as well. 
So I think you've got a great perspective on the pros and cons of training each. So what I'm interested in here is, would you mind sharing some of your struggles that you've dealt with with both populations? Because I think a lot of times on this show, we talk a lot about athletes, and I think those will be somewhat more familiar, but I'd love to hear what you struggle with when you're training your gym pop clients as well. For sure. I kind of just touched on it with the general fitness clients. The biggest hurdle, I think, initially is adherence, and Mm -hmm. that's probably number one. I mean, I don't know what the literature, I'm not up to date on the literature at dropout rate anymore, but it's extremely high. It's more than don't drop out, I would say that. Right. Right. So the majority of people that start something are going to stop it and probably for good reason, because it obviously wasn't working for them. But that's probably the biggest hurdle. Number one is after getting into the door, of course, is adhering to the program and giving it a chance. Yep. That's like number one is you have to give it a chance after you're consistent. It's like, okay, it's one thing to be consistent for a month. But how much of a chance are you giving any weight loss program or strength training program or movement improvement program if you don't give it a significant amount of time? You know, I think rule of thumb typically is three months is bare, bare minimum. But I would say adherence is probably the number one with the general fitness clients. I mean, you could go into coachability with some of that. I think comparing athletes to general fitness clients, in some ways, general fitness clients can be harder to coach in terms of relating some of those experience. They may just not have the background and variety of exposure to different movement skills. So it's harder to say, hey, this is like this in this sport, or hey, this is like this. You have to be a little bit more creative and think about like, hey, what do humans have to do? This is like reaching up on a shelf and trying to grab something, like whatever you have to do to relate to somebody who doesn't have any athletic background. So in that way, it can be a little bit tougher to coach some of those clients. But I think adherence is number one. And then on the athlete side, I think holding them back is probably the number one challenge, at least with the few athletes that I've had at IFAST is not necessarily holding them back, but knowing when is strong enough Mm -hmm. or when is like managing intensity in general, I would say throughout the season. And this is something that you do really well and E does extremely well. You know, that's where you guys excel is knowing, hey, you guys are in this part of your season or in this phase of your off season, you've got to adjust your intensity or adjust your volume or whatever the case is. You have to monitor that throughout the season. It's the load management conversation that's happening all over the place now. And you guys can speak more to that. I don't think I can probably... I'm probably not the guy that anybody wants to hear talk about (laughs) load management within athletes, but I would have to imagine that's probably the most difficult. From my perspective, though, it's mostly like framing your workouts that may not be as like grueling and like exhausting as, hey, this is useful. Right. And my biggest challenge is like, this is still extremely useful, even though you're not a puddle on the floor right now. Yes. Yeah. And that's something that just takes time and rapport. I think sometimes if it's a new athlete and this is a different exposure and they're used to that, it's really hard, at least initially, for them to buy into that, right? Like even if they've been injured or they've, you know, had seasons where they didn't play their best at the end because they were burnout or whatever, sometimes that's hard to do. But man, one thing that you you mentioned twice now in different ways that I think is so smart when it comes to your gin pop clients, and this is something that I struggled with as well, is... You talked about sometimes you almost have to give them a goal. And part of that is like taking or helping them with their language and their communication skills of what we do. And here's what I mean by that. Like we're exercise specialists or experts, whatever you want to think of. A lot of these people, the gen pop clients are not, especially your people that don't have an athletic background. So it's helping them craft 
goals that are meaningful to them and helping them understand like what they can and can't do. Another thing is like you alluded to helping them express what they're feeling or sensations. Like this is something I still struggle with, with some of my gen pop people that I work with. I'll be like, do you feel your left back pocket? And they'll kind of give me this sideways look and I'll be like, okay, so I have to find another way to attack it. And yes, they might even be feeling it, but they don't know what that means. So I think that's such a great point is helping them kind of broaden their exercise vocabulary, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it starts day one in the assessment, for sure. And that's, I think that's something that I've changed. I was talking to our intern the other day about, I spent a long time avoiding coaching too much in the assessment and like not trying to lead them towards what I really want. I just, I want to see what they have and what they bring with just the most basic of instructions. And I think there's value in that. And that's a great place to start. But ultimately, from that first time that you get to watch them move and every experience after that, you're coaching them and you're seeing, okay, what are they going to do right away? What is their assumption of what I'm saying? And then now I have to coach them up so they understand. And on day one, it's not, you know, I was really backtracking a lot from that first assessment to the first workout and saying, okay, I really wish I would have just tried to do this in the assessment. You save so much time by coaching them really, really early on to know what you, you said it early about setting expectations, whether that's setting the expectation of like, what are we going to work on? What is, what is your goal? Or setting the expectation of when I say this, this is what I mean. And then you have that framework set up. And this is something that Jay always was extremely helpful with in coaching us as interns is making what you're saying to them meaningful and not just giving them a cue that might be cute. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's actually not incorrect, but it means nothing to them. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said, do you know what I mean there? And I just get this blank stare like, no, (laughs) right. I don't. And then I say, okay, so when I say this, I mean this, because you can't just give somebody a two word cue and expect them to understand what they're supposed to do or what they're supposed to feel. You have to set that up and give them an appreciation for it and say, when I give you these two words as a cue, this is what I mean. Yes. So, okay, this is going to work very seamlessly into my next question, because something that you and I talked about before the show was helping clients understand the role and the meaning of context and why certain exercises are valuable for them. So would you mind speaking to why creating context is such an important piece of your coaching puzzle? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's meaningless without it because otherwise it's just a workout. I mean, you could go on YouTube and find any number of workouts. You pick the intensity, you pick the duration, you pick the equipment, zero equipment or a whole gym's worth of equipment. You can find that on your own, but if it's not meaningful to that person, then it's there is no way they're going to find it meaningful and useful to whatever they're trying to change. They have to value it and you have to relate it to something that they already do, have already done in the past, or else it means nothing to them. And it's just, oh, I'm doing this because it works X muscle or because it gets my heart rate up to X beats per minute, or it is just that number or it is just this body part. If it's not meaningful to them, then it's, you might as well not do it or you might as well save your money and go on YouTube and get a workout, which might be perfectly valid for some people. Right, right. And this is something too, I I know I've driven this point home over the years is helping them relate it back to their end goals too, right? And so I always use the example of a squat. If you have four different people, one wants to shed body fat, one wants to build muscle, one wants to be a power lifter, and one wants to jump higher. 
there's four potentially different reasons that you would explain to them why we're squatting. And I think it sounds so simple. And a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, well, of course you would do that. But how many people actually do that? You know, like help them connect the dots, because too often we assume, again, because it makes sense to us. Like, oh, yeah, like they'll get this. But it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. A lot of times you have to help people kind of drop breadcrumbs along the way and let them understand like, hey, this is why we're doing this exercise. And you can kind of see that light bulb go off when you do that. Yeah, no, that's a great way to describe it too, is dropping breadcrumbs because it is a, every time you relate something and they understand, like it could be relating it to their end goal, if it's an athlete and their performance goals, or maybe it's a, a weekend warrior goal type of scenario, or it's, hey, I need to be able to walk upstairs without pain. It could be that, or it could be any kind of a relationship between, hey, this is what your initial preference preparation for today's workout was now remember when we did that that's kind of yes. like this so you can drop these little nuggets or breadcrumbs in and you see it's like every time you get to another one it's like oh okay oh yeah. okay I know exactly what that is. I know exactly what that is. And it saves you a lot of time because instantly they know, okay, when I'm doing this exercise, it's just like this activity that I've already been coached on. And it's just with a different implement or it's in a different stance or it's because everything we do is pretty congruent to us. And yep. we take that for granted a lot of the time. It's seemingly obvious if you do it every single day, but to somebody who is doing this maybe two or three hours a week, and that's like the only time they may think about it, that's all the practice that they're going to get. So you need to just be constantly relating it to them over and over and over how everything is related to what they're ultimately trying to achieve. Obviously, that's the ultimate goal, but everything that we do is interrelated even within a workout or within one session. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So one thing that I really enjoy about your programs, because this, is, this has been my philosophy at least since... 2008, 2009, I feel like you've really taken the mantor, the torch and run with it. But you do this amazing job with your Gen Pop clients of not confining them to the weight room. I feel like you do an amazing job of treating everyone like an athlete. So my question for you is, is that something that you consciously have to think about? Or is that just like your natural method of program design these days? I think it's probably both. There's definitely an aspect of I still play sports. I still train myself as though I'm going to be a competitive athlete. So it's like I want other people to feel that way too. I understand though, not everybody has that desire. So, you know, you'll see some extremely straightforward gym-based programs. But what I've also found is that even the people that may like those really straightforward lifting-based gym-based programs, if you sprinkle in some of the quote-unquote athletic work, they say, oh, that's really fun. Yeah. Oh, I really, yep. really like that. Oh, yep. it's really cool to throw a ball. Oh, it's really cool to swing an aqua bag whatever the case is, they typically enjoy it. Yep. So I, you know, you feed the baby birds, but ultimately people enjoy doing that. So I think that's like, you go back to adherence. If you don't enjoy it, you'll never come back anyway. Yep. You might get the most out of your two weeks or your month or however much you've paid for, but if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to come back. So I think it's just ultimately fun to do. That's why I say it's probably both because there's just not necessarily a conscious effort that everybody is going to be trained as though they're preparing for a sport or a specific sport because, you know, athletes need very specific skills that are linked together. Yep. You know, there's ultimately like all the activities we do in a gym are in some way related. Like you can relate them very closely to another activity, but the difference might be that with a general fitness client, you may not be linking these skills together unless they do 
play a sport recreationally, but you may just use that activity as a skill that they might need at that time and not necessarily linking them all together. So you reduce the complexity a little bit. You tone it down in terms of like the momentum of the activity, but you still ultimately have the same skills because they're still useful. A lot of the ball throws, a lot of the more dynamic activities that we do in the gym that look like, hey, I'm working on my footwork, whatever that means, they are appropriate for a client, even if, you know, they're not training to be the next superstar. Yeah. Or even just like superstar of their intramural league, those skills are still valid and still useful. They may not need to be linked together as specifically as an athlete might be, but they're still very useful. Yeah. I love it, man. Okay. So here's a big question. Albeit, I'll admit it's kind of vague. How do you go about adapting programs for some of your older athletes to still keep them moving well? And, And here's what I mean by this. Like gin pop, when we say that it's a huge swath, right? Like we could be talking about somebody that's like 25 and fresh out of school to we're talking 80 plus year old doctors and people that come into our gym. So how do you go about adapting some of those programs to keep people moving well? Yeah, that's a good question because there is such a wide range of gen pop. I always feel like we're talking about a prison population when we say that. (laughs) There is such a wide range. And I guess that's true in prison too, but you may have a former, Maria is just getting done with her volleyball career and she's maybe now technically considered a gen pop person, but she's at a very different level than some of our other morning clients, right? So there's a very big gap there, but I mean, it all comes down to meeting them at where they are currently and developing it from there, right? Like I said before, the skills are still useful. They're still helpful depending on what that person might need, but you're just toning down maybe the complexity. You're toning down the load. You're toning down the momentum of the activity. You know, better believe we still have the 80-year-old doctors doing medicine ball throws. He's going to go play golf. That's he's going to go play golf, right? So you got to prepare him for gonna it. he's going to swing a club as hard as he can, he better be able to throw a med ball as hard as he can. Yeah. So in some of those, I keep coming back to med balls because especially for, you know, maybe older clients who lose the ability to generate an intensity, it's like a great way to automatically and instantly incentivize that. So you have to meet them at where they are, right? You're not going to give the 22, 23-year-old former Division One collegiate athlete who is now just training to be a healthy person, maybe the activity are the same, but the momentum and the complexity is toned down to the 60 plus year old clients. There's a huge gap there, but I think ultimately you just have to meet them at where they are and tease it out from there. I think that's the biggest thing is you just tease it out from wherever they're at, whatever they're capable of, tease it out. Yeah. And I think there's another great point in here too. I think we've kind of gotten away from the check box approach of writing a program, right? Like everybody squats, hinges, presses, pulls, But if you determine somebody needs something, right, like if somebody needs a squat, you better figure out what variation is going to work best for them. And that's one thing I've always admired about Jay before you and about now you, as you guys have taken these morning clients, it's like you guys are so creative in some of your regressions, like things I never would have thought of. But it's because you have to be right. Like you probably failed. You've had that moment where you're like, oh, this exercise is going to work great. And you try it and you're like, oh, my God, that was a total disaster. And we have it too, right? Progressing. But I'm sure you have that in your regressions as well. So I think that's something that's so fun to watch you guys create new progressions and new variations for your clients that will help meet them where they are. 
I think he's been very inspirational to say the <laughs> least with some of the creativity of his exercises. And I even remember Jason, when I was an intern working with Jason on the floor, thinking about the creativity that he would come up with some of his activities. But I can't tell you how many times I have said, oh, this person, you know, in theory, this exercise would be good for them. On paper, this is the best thing for them. But there are infinite micro steps that I needed to take in between here and where they are right now. It's like, yes. okay, this person, if they could just do do this, it would be extremely helpful for them. And I try that activity and I say, or, you know, progress too fast. Yep. And I say, okay, this looks great. Now we need to just take 14 lightning steps ahead. And all of a sudden it looks horrible and their confidence is diminished. So failing that many times definitely gives you a new perspective of how important it is to think outside the box a little bit on what your activities are. Cause maybe it's a, I've been using the word tease it out or the phrase tease it out a lot more because I think it's related to people if you use that phrase it's teasing something out and we're yeah. just kind of gradually moving away in one direction versus saying okay you did this really well now we're going to totally shift gears and skip 14 steps and we should be fine because that's what it looks like on paper but that's not always the case yeah i used to think of it when i was training more gin pop clients i thought in terms of like there's the big progressions and again this is like how we used to think about it right it's like goblet squat two kettlebell squat barbell front squat versus like those are big progressions but for gin pop people a lot of times you need more micro progressions there's smaller steps in between there like you said mm -hmm. teasing it out slow cooking people that allow them they just need more time they need more reps they need more exposures and while your young athlete that is super malleable and high level can take those big jumps your gen pop people in many cases just can't. Yeah, no, it's super important. They need time. That's a good good word to use for it because it's like giving it a chance that we talked about earlier. You have to give it a chance to set in. Even if it yes. looks good that day, it may look like garbage. It may three not days the next. Now. Yeah. So yeah, you just you know have that. to give it a chance. You know, how many times have you heard somebody say like on the fourth week, you know, something looks really good. It looks really sharp automatically. They don't need hardly any coaching or you turn the corner and they're doing it really well with zero coaching. And you say, that's amazing. And they say, oh yeah, it only took me four weeks to get here. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, that sounds like a long time. It sounds like, oh, it took me a whole month to figure this out. But that's the reality of it is learning takes time. So if you're not giving it a chance to set in and sink in a little bit and giving yourself a chance to fail and kind of figure it out on their own, then yeah, you're kind of doing them a disservice, right? Progressions aren't necessarily going to work in a neatly packaged four week block. Yeah, right. So, all right, man. Well, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Dave Shock one piece of advice, what would it be? I love this question. And I used to think about how I might answer that. But Today's I think, day, uh, man. I know, I know. It's going to sound really silly. But what I would tell young Dave Shock or past Dave Shock is to help out future Dave. <laughs> <laughs> And that's like super vague in itself. But what I mean by that is every like iteration of future me, because that's been a huge theme, especially when we had a lot of time spent at home over the past year when we were shut down for a little bit. It was like, you know, everybody had extra time to do something. And my extra time was spent figuring out a preparation plan. And my mantra for that was, okay, how is this going to help out future Dave? Mm. How is this going to help? Even if it's tomorrow, future Dave or next week, future Dave, like yeah. how is this going to benefit me? 
How is it going to make future Dave's life easier? So that would be my advice to myself for sure is do as much as you possibly can to help out tomorrow's future Dave, next week's future Dave, next year is of course it's compounding from there, but you have to help yourself out in the future, whether it's planning ahead for the next morning. I mean, getting up early and coming in, there's not a lot of time. Every minute of sleep is extremely helpful to me. So yep especially when you have a young kid. So there's a lot of preparation that goes into saving that time in the morning. So helping out my future self would for sure be the number one answer. I love that, man. That's awesome. And a great viewpoint too. Okay, so last but not least, we got our lightning round. Four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. All right, number one. What's your career highlight so far as a coach? Career highlight. I saw this question when you sent it to me earlier, and I, it's another one. I wasn't sure where I was going to go with it, but I think, honestly, my career highlight was, <laughs> was coming on as a coach at IFAST because yes. there are so many reasons that I could say that, but I think just the culture that I remember from being an intern was extremely attractive to me. And I think there was something about when I started as an intern there, that it's not the typical strength and conditioning environment that I had even become attracted to through college and starting in high school. I always told people it was like if nerds took over the fitness industry and started a gym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean that, of course, with all due respect, yeah. but there was just this sort of culture of what are you reading? What are you trying to do like what are you digesting right now you know there's a little bit of competitiveness there that's still kind of congruent with a typical gym but there was kind of a nerd mentality in that way of like kind of diving deep into the nuts and bolts of training of course the exercise science part of it but where jay was super helpful in the philosophy of it and the psychology of it which you know is still there's nuts and bolts to that as wishy-washy as it can feel sometimes there was a huge emphasis placed on that and you see the value of it right away so that culture of improvement and kind of nerdy time investment into getting better yeah <laughs> and like being really obsessed with something was super attractive to me so that's, that's awesome. i think probably my biggest highlight is like okay i feel like i'm in a place that i can be at home yeah yeah and i mean let's be real here everybody has their unique strengths and weaknesses but everybody that's worked at our gym i feel like i can put a pretty strong stamp on this person wants to get better and they want to be a great coach you know everybody's got their own path and avenue but yeah that's a great point man okay number two biggest struggle as a new dad <laughs> Early on, it was sleep because yeah. our kid did not sleep for the first six months. Of course, that's pretty common. That's rough. Yeah, he's been a tremendous since then. So I can't speak too poorly of him there. He's been a tremendous sleeper. I think, honestly, it's just time management. I think when we came over to your house, like three or four months after I had started, and we were sitting on the porch and you said, well, you get two superpowers when you become a dad. And one is obviously super strength. Yep. And then the next one is to get, can't remember exactly what you said, but to get the amount of work done in half the time that's, that's about right yeah because you just have to every nap is such a big deal every little piece of time where he's occupied playing by himself for 20 minutes is such a big deal where you can maybe get the dishes done or you can you know send an email or sit still for 20 minutes maybe <laughs> whatever it is, but it's definitely been high management. It's been extremely helpful in a lot of ways too, because it instantly puts things into perspective as to like, okay, what's the most important thing I need to get done today and right now and next. And you just really have an appreciation for your time and what becomes important is very obvious very quickly. 
Yes. Yeah, I can't. Well, it's my saying, so I have to take some credit for it. But yeah, just that 90 minute nap. It's amazing what you can get done in a 90 minute nap. Like you immediately question all of your life choices prior to that. And you just think, how much time did I squander doing nothing before this? So number three, thinking that we had such little time, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I have no time. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Okay, number three. How's the tennis game coming back? <laughs> it's good, man. I haven't hit in a couple of weeks. I've been hitting with my brother after his tennis practices. He's the head tennis coach at Air Meridian High School here in Indianapolis. But we won our winter league. We won the championship there. So now nice. comes the summer league. If all keeps going well, there's a nationals in Vegas. So that would be kind of fun to go to. But That would be fun. Uh, we'll see what happens. No, but it's been fun. It's been fun getting back into hitting more consistently. Yeah, that's sure. awesome. That's awesome, man. All right, last but not least, number four. What's next for Dave Shot? Well, next is, I feel comfortable saying this now because we just had our first doctor's appointment yesterday, but next is my wife is expecting. Congrats, that's awesome. We're going to have number two in November. November 14th, I believe, is the due date they gave us. So everything's looking healthy and good so far. But that is a little bit in the future. I think what's coming before that is continuing to get people back into the gym at iFast as they get vaccinated and they feel a little bit more comfortable. We've already seen a ton of people come back just in April alone. I know there's several people coming back in May. Seem to have had an influx of racket sport athletes, though, coming in, whether they're like maybe patients of Bill's or we're already racket sport athletes at the gym, but growing that little niche there is going to be something that I'll look forward to that summer as people. I think tennis is a sport actually that was fairly COVID safe on the whole. A lot of people felt really comfortable playing it. One thing, um, obviously you're pretty far away from each other. So if people were engaging in that tennis experience, a huge amount of growth over the last year. So I think it's a good niche that we're going to tap into coming up in this summer. Yeah, for sure. And the great thing about tennis is I mean, you and I have talked about this. I've never played looking to get into it a little bit more. I mean, it's a great sport that you can continue to play well into a late age, you know? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's a lifelong skill or a lifetime game like golf, but I think it's a little more active for the people that think golf is super boring Right. and it is a skill, right? So it's hard to learn, but it gives you that element of, you know, there's always that little nugget to chase or that next breadcrumb to chase. So you can always be chasing a skill as long as you're realistic with your expectations. And then obviously pickleball or pickleball now is really taken off. That is like the fastest growing sport in America, I think. And that's not any slower pace, but maybe the movement is a little bit slower. So it's not as demanding in terms of like your physicality of it. So there's a lot of older adults that are getting really heavily into pickleball. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, again, congrats. Super excited for you and the lady. That's going to be exciting and also scary all at the same time. But Dave, man, it's been great catching up with you today. Where can my listeners find out more about you? Well, I'm pretty absent on the internet. So (laughs) I do have an Instagram at all Dave shock. I don't know if I'm sure my last name will be spelled. It's always a question mark as to how to spell or pronounce that last name. But I do have an Instagram. I don't post a whole bunch on there, but you can list my email on the show notes too if people want to email me. But if they really want to find out more about me and they want to show that they do IFAST. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. That's right. We'll get the Instagram on in there. You can always follow the IFAST Instagram because I know you're posting stuff on there too. So, but regardless, man, this is awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Mike. It was fun. 
friend. That does it for this week's show with tall Dave Shock of iFast. Really hope you enjoyed it. I think the world of Dave, he is a true first-class professional and even more importantly, a first-class human being. Couldn't ask for a better guy to have running our operation in the morning. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you learned something from it. If you did, I would love it if you would just do me one small favor. Please share this episode with somebody that you know that works with GenPop clients. It's a tough segment of the population, my friend, like a lot of clout, a lot of notoriety when it comes to working with high-level athletes. But working with the Gen Pop can be a thankless job, but man, we need more great coaches, trainers, and human beings helping our general population, keeping them fit, getting them healthy. So if you know somebody that trains the Gen Pop, maybe they're struggling or maybe they just want to level up a little bit with their coaching, please forward this show on to them so they can listen to all the great insights that Dave has on training this population. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.